What's going on, everyone? And welcome back into the Jack Vita Show. Alongside Andrew Stem, I'm Jack Vita. Day after the national championship game. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm tired, man. I'll, I'll be honest. It was uh, a late night, a lot of late nights, the way some of these games have gone, even carrying over from Saturday, the UCLA-Gonzaga game. And uh, it was... You know, it was a good tournament. I wish that last night's game would have been a little bit closer, maybe lived up to the hype a little bit more, but certainly credit to Baylor, Scott Drew's program. They uh, took it from the start. They just took it to Gonzaga and uh, were the better team last night and a deserving national champion. Yeah, I, I feel you. It is a little tiring. I mean, the last last six weeks or so, there's so much basketball to watch and I'm getting ready for baseball season. And so... I know on uh, you and I both like the Eye on College Basketball podcast, and those guys were talking a few weeks ago how they have that feeling the day after the national championship where it's just like, you know, that was super fun, but it's a little bit of a relief to kind of enjoy. We enjoyed it while we could, but now we can rest a little bit and just watch some baseball. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was helpful that the White Sox were playing out west and playing Seattle. I had something to flip to after the game was over just to fall asleep to. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's like a you know there's such a rush from really when conference tournament starts, as you said, and uh, now there's just kind of this not an emotional letdown, but it's like okay, now a chance to rest and relax and spend time pouring over everybody's way too early top 25s for next year and, and all that. The lists are out already. I don't know how people have time to sit down uh, and put those together, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, a little bit calmer now. Uh, it is master's week and I know you get excited about that and baseball first full week of baseball going. So uh, still playing on the sports calendar to keep us going, but uh, yeah, it's, it's always kind of one of those sad days now when you realize that there won't be a college basketball game until the middle of November. Yeah, it is sad. You have that emotional high, as you mentioned, and then you watch one shining moment and it all kind of winds down. We'll talk one shining moment today. We'll start here, though, with the headline, of course. The Baylor Bears are your national champions. This is the first time they've ever won it in program history. They beat Gonzaga 86-70. Great story for Scott Drew, former Valparaiso men's basketball head coach. He came into Baylor and just entirely revamped that program. And I shouldn't even see revamp because it wasn't like there was a whole lot there when he got there. He's built a juggernaut with that program. Andrew, were you a student at Valparaiso when Scott was coaching? I was a sophomore the year he was a head coach. Uh, that opened the season against Carmelo Anthony uh, in Syracuse. And uh, that game didn't go so well. But uh, they were the regular season. It was the mid-continent conference champs at the time. Uh, were upset in the championship game by IUPUI on a last-second shot uh, when Ron Hunter, now at Georgia State, was the coach there and uh, ended up in the NIT, played Iowa on Monday. This was back when they would come out with the NIT matchups right after the NCAA tournament bracket came out, which I guess they still do. But uh, normally there aren't any NIT games on Monday, I don't think, anymore. But uh, Valpo ended up chipping out to uh, Iowa City that same night. Uh, lost to the Hawkeyes the next day, and then uh, four months later, Scott was taking the job at Baylor. But yeah, we was there, and uh, he was an assistant uh, my freshman year. He'd been an assistant for a long time before that, but just when I got there. And uh, you know, just like the rest of the members of the Drew family, a really nice guy, a really outstanding and man, and uh, really good recruiter. Um, that was kind of the knock on him for a while, was that he was a really good recruiter 
and just couldn't coach him up. And he's, you know, shedded that a long time ago. But uh, I think he's removed all doubts after the game last night. He can recruit, he can coach, and uh, he's built quite a program in Waco. And you may have said this, but were you covering the basketball team for the student newspaper at the time? Uh, I was not. I'd got to broadcast a couple of games on WVUR for them, but uh, they had, there was somebody, uh, J.R. Radcliffe was a year older, and he and Ed Schillinger, who were a year in front of me, so they would have been juniors, they kind of split the the men's basketball duties at that particular juncture. Well, that's cool. He still had those memories, and now to see Scott go off and do what he did with Baylor. Now, last night, as you mentioned, the game didn't live up to the hype, and to tell the truth, so I was I was so amped up for this game as every college basketball fan was, I'm sure. And to tell the truth, I was starting to get a weird gut feeling that Baylor was going to win that game. Now, Steve Lapis made a really great point that I think, and this is where we get into discussing what happened last night. I was listening to Steve Lapis on Mad Dog Radio yesterday, and he was saying, look, Gonzaga playing that game on Saturday night, which was the game of the year. It was an awesome game against UCLA. They go to overtime. It was such an emotional high. They probably are leaving that gym sometime after midnight uh, Eastern time. That game ended around midnight Eastern time. And uh, they're probably not getting to bed until around 4 or 5 a.m. when you are doing something awesome. I mean, sometimes when I do a show late at night or I, even just edit an episode. It's hard for me to just flip the switch and go to bed. You got to wind down a little bit. I'm sure if you win a final four game, you want to celebrate that to some degree. And so he's saying they're probably not going to bed until four or 5 AM. Meanwhile, I mean, and that was, that was a tough battle. Baylor on the other hand, really didn't have much of it. I mean, Houston really didn't push them very much. They went through that game pretty easily. Uh, I do think that that worked against Gonzaga in this particular instance. Yeah, I mean that's a a good point that you know he raised, and and then you raised. Certainly, I would think some validity to that. Uh, it's probably a little bit easier, I imagine, because they're college students. You know, the the bounce back yeah. factor, I would guess, is pretty good. Um, you know, I, I was honestly a little bit surprised. I kind of figured, and you know, I certainly don't want to take anything away from UCLA and their incredible run. But I kind of got the sense after a little while, even though they kept toppling teams, they were playing well. And part of their success was sort of being underestimated. I kind of felt like uh, even from their first four game, BYU maybe underestimated them a little bit. I mean, certainly not Abilene Christian. But then I sort of felt like Alabama, Michigan kind of underestimated. And they're like, well, you know, they're an 11 seed. They, They kind of struggled. And, you know, they thought they could tune up, show up and play a B B plus game and and still win and that obviously wasn't the case. Uh, Mick Cronin and Johnny Juzang had one of the great NCAA tournament performances of all time, and I kind of felt like Gonzaga did sort of the same thing. And uh, UCLA hung around and they were underestimated a little bit, and then you know they needed that great shot from Suggs uh, at the end of overtime to get the win there. But I thought Gonzaga would bounce back. They they'd kind of gotten their scare because they'd rolled through the tournament. You know they they. They, they were never challenged really against by Oklahoma or Creighton or USC. None of those games were particularly close, and they'd been one of the historically great offenses uh, all year long. And, uh, you know, you, you thought just sometimes they, they got to get a challenge, and this was their challenge, and they were going to come back. And 
you know, for a variety of factors, certainly Baylor taking it to them. The rest certainly could have been an issue as well, but, uh, you know, they ended up down nine, nothing and just never recovered from that. Really. You know, they, they got it close ish. They got it backed within nine, a couple of times. And uh, I assume we'll talk about that big run in the second half that kind of, you know, uh, the Adam Flagler three pointer that sort of put the game away, even though there was still, I feel like 11 minutes left on the clock. I, I texted a friend of mine and said game's over. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, Baylor came out and um, Jared Butler was awesome. Macy Oteague was awesome. Uh, all those guys, uh, Mark Vital on the boards were just spectacular. And, uh, you know, it still kind of amazes me if you look at the Ken Pomeroy numbers. Baylor is still only 22nd in adjusted defensive efficiency. Uh, you, the first, I can't remember the first title team since the early 2000s to finish outside the top 20 and adjusted defensive efficiency. And they looked really, really good defensively last night. Um, you know, Gonzaga still shot almost 50% from two point range, but couldn't get three points to fall until the the very end. And by then it didn't matter. And the game was over. Yeah. I think that my, one of my takeaways was obviously all the credit in the world to Baylor, but I do think that Gonzaga, the fact that they hadn't lost a game this year, I think that was – they always say that's, that's an expression. You can't win them all. You can't win them all. And that's sort of what happened last night. And as I was watching that team in the first half, those first 10, 15 minutes of that game, I mean, they, they their body language, they looked like the game was happening a little too fast around them. They looked a little tired. They just looked like – they had given everything they could give. They had won every single game. And this is where it was starting to finally let up. And they were having difficulty responding to that. I've been, I didn't play, I wasn't a very good basketball player. I didn't play at a very high level, but I've played in intramurals where you play a team and the game just feels like it's happening so fast and it's hard to collect your thoughts. It's hard to, you know, they had some really bad looking offensive sets. I, I think that, uh, I think there were some things such as that that were playing against them in that game, first half. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't want to touch on this now because we should discuss Baylor first, but at some point before we end, we have to dispel the notion. There have been a lot of takes out there that, uh, you know, Gonzaga wasn't really that good and this was a product of them being in the West. That's exactly where I'm going right now, Andrew. That, that, I, we would discuss it now. I think that that's ridiculous. I think these were the two best teams in college basketball this year. Uh, Michigan and Illinois were in that category for Michigan, maybe 70, 80% of the season, Illinois, maybe 40% of the season. These two, 100% of the season, these were your two best teams. We're very fortunate to get them to meet in the national championship, which really didn't come as a shock to anybody. These were the two best teams, and they may have been the two best teams last year. Uh, so for them to get into this game, I do think, and we were waiting so long for this game to happen. I do think that Gonzaga, both these teams were really, there was a gap between these two teams and everybody else this year, like we see in college football a lot of time. Don't see it too often in college basketball, but it was there this year in college basketball. And Gonzaga, I know there are a lot of takes about them being overrated or they didn't play anybody, which is just ridiculous. That's uh, not true. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that if these two teams were to play each other 10 times, it could potentially, I, I going into yesterday, I'd say the same thing that I say today. I would say that it'd be a five, five split. I mean, I think these two teams were just ex exceptionally good. 
Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree with that assessment and certainly, you know, want to give Baylor the utmost credit and was why I was a little hesitant to start talking about this before we really broke down the yeah, game. Yeah. But uh, there were just so many takes out there. Like they would have four, Gonzaga would have four losses if they played in the Big 12. Like, come on, this is, they were a historically good offensive team that just, you know, sometimes you just run into a better team. Like, I don't know if, you know, you look at the other upsets. It's not like if Ohio State and Oral Roberts played a 10-game series this year, you feel necessarily like that would be a 5-5 split, right? And I don't know about Loyola and Illinois. Loyola was a really good team. That was a really tough draw for Illinois. But, you know, sometimes you just run into a buzzsaw. I think Bill Raftery said that at some point during the broadcast last night was you just run into a team that's playing better than you are. And Baylor rolled through the tournament they were challenged a little bit against Villanova, a little bit against Arkansas. Um, but for the most part, they just rolled on through. They they ran through Houston and looked really impressive doing so and did the same thing to Gonzaga last night. And I do think that, like you said, if they played 10 times, it would probably be a 5-5 split, and you'd hope that some of those games would be closer. But uh, last night was just Baylor's night. Their their guys were better. They were better on offense. They were better on defense. Um and, and, you know, that that's what happens, you know, when you get a single elimination tournament, you know, in the NBA, in Major League Baseball, in NHL, typically in a in a five, seven game series, the better team will win. Like there, there can be certain circumstances, you know, maybe in, in baseball, your rotations not lined up correctly and, and there can be varying factors. But I feel like 80 to 90 percent of the time, the better team will win. And, you know, in a single elimination tournament, that doesn't always happen. Um Baylor could very well be the overall better team. They're still behind Gonzaga in Ken Pomeroy's rankings this morning, but they've closed the gap tremendously uh, after that performance last night. But they were the the much better team last night. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's a stretch to say that was Baylor's best game of the season. They they had some really good wins, but I feel like, you know, they, they come off that COVID pause. They lost a couple of games. They beat West Virginia in overtime. They looked absolutely lost against Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament. And, Whatever that loss did for them, you said sometimes you got to take a loss. They flipped the switch and uh, won six in a row and looked incredibly impressive doing so. And they were so good last night. They were just so good. And uh, a credit to them and, and all their guys. It was just, it was an impressive performance. Uh, you know, somebody mentioned that I read this morning that they felt like they rolled through the tournament like uh, 2018 Villanova kind of rolled through their whole bracket. And I think that's a pretty apt comparison is that they just rolled all the way through. They kept it going for six games and, and uh, Scott drew, you know, gets the, gets the championship. He, he promised when he, he showed up there 18 years ago. It was, I mean, Baylor played as great of a game as they could. And that's why they deserve all the credit in the world. And, I mean, people were talking about Gonzaga being a historically great team, and that's a conversation. I, I think really when you when people want to debate how great things are, that's always typically kind of a, a recipe for some type of disaster. Uh, it's really hard. But I think if you were to compare and talk about the 21st century, I mean, I'd say both these teams were, were in that category of some of the best teams we've seen over the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like if you put – you just kind of kind of run down the list of, of champions. Um, you know, I, I think as good as the 2019 Virginia team was, and they had plenty of NBA players, like certainly would at least favor that last night's Baylor team over 
over them. Um, you know, it would be a, a probably toss up between 2018 Villanova, but I think the 2017 North Carolina, uh, you know, that even the 26 Villanova team with Chris Jenkins. I mean, I think you start looking at that and you start comparing some of the champions and, and, you know, again, the, the nature of a single elimination tournament is the best team doesn't always win or the team who's been the, had the best season doesn't always win. But, uh, you know, this, the Baylor team and, you know, even the numbers that Gonzaga put up, even a loss, you know, that they had throughout the season, two of the, the better teams I think we've seen overall in certainly the last 10 or 15 years. And as you point out, probably since uh, the turn of the century. Yeah. And I like to, I like naturally with me being born in 94, it's easy for me to compare the new millennium. It just feels like a natural era for me to sort of compare things from, but yeah, I mean, hey, that was the other thing with Gonzaga. They were undefeated. They were what? Were they 31 and 0 prior to yesterday? 31 and 0. No one does that. The last time we had seen an undefeated team get to the national title game was 1979. There's a reason that that is so extremely rare. Great teams go undefeated. And the West Coast Conference it's a pretty good conference. It might not be the Pac-12, it might not be the Pac-12, the Big 10, the Big 12 or whatever you want to measure up as the best conference, but the West Coast is competitive. It's not it's not uh it's not like you're going through the SoCon or the A-Sun or you know there there's some other mid-major conferences that are a little low, lower level. Gonzaga had some I mean and then you also got to give them credit. You can only beat the teams that you play. They probably had the toughest non-conference schedule of any of blue blood this year. They played a lot of tough games. They won all those games. It's hard for me to understand. I, I understand it. I guess I know what people are saying, but I can't agree with people calling this team on overrated. And all of a sudden you, they lose one game to an equally great team, perhaps a better team. And now you're going to say that, they're overrated. Yeah, I don't I just I don't buy the takes. Um, you know, it's if it were so easy to go undefeated, a lot more teams would do it. Everybody's like, oh, but they're in the West Coast. You still have to win every game you play. Like, there's a reason that teams don't go undefeated. You know, even in like those some of those conferences you mentioned, like it's very rare to see a team win the regular season title, winning all of their conference games. Just there's so many factors that have to come in together to, to win all of those games. So to, to kind of scoff and be like, well, that was just the West coast conference. Like, you know, and, and then they were, the people were looking like, well, they beat, you know, Kansas and Kansas turned out to not be what we thought Kansas was going to be. And Iowa wasn't as great as everybody thought they were going to be. And, and Virginia wasn't as good. And, and it's like, come on, man, just like, you know, they, they came up short in the national title game. Like, I, I don't know what more you want from them. They were a good team. They had a really good season. This this talk about how they'd lose, like, five conference games in the Power Five conferences is insane. They they had a they had an off night, and, and maybe they wouldn't go undefeated in the Big 12. Like, it's hard to do that. I can't remember the last time a team went undefeated in the Big 12 or in the Big 10 or in the Pac-12 or in the SEC. Like, you just don't do that. So to just be like, oh, well, they'd have four or five losses. Come on, just you know, give Baylor their credit. They they absolutely deserve to win, but the, the Gonzaga takes are, are hard to listen to this morning. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Gotta gotta tune it out and listen to the Jack Vita show and other podcasts, uh, replacement media podcasts, alternative media, whatever you want to call it. Don't turn on uh, those networks where people are going to be screaming at each other who probably watched two games this year. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know what, Andrew? This was such a great year, and we can look back on the tournament as a whole. Uh, but before we do that, I'd love to touch on these coaching changes that we've had over the last week. Do you have any other thoughts on the final four uh, specifically before we do that? I mean, uh, you know, just some things to to touch on from from last night. I mean, the three guard offense for Baylor, you know, Jared Butler, 22 points, uh, seven assists. The first player in a championship game since Carmelo Anthony in 20, in 2003 to get at least 20 points and, and seven assists. He was awesome. Macy Oteague was awesome. Davion Mitchell played well. Adam Flagler again, I felt like hit that, that really big three pointer against I had cut it to nine at, at 58, 49, early on in the second half, I think probably 11, 12 minutes to go. And then Baylor responded with a nine, two run Flagler hits that big three uh, to put him back up 16. Gonzaga takes timeout and the game is basically over. Uh, Mark vital 11 rebounds. I mean, one of the keys, a couple of the keys just quickly to touch on the game. Baylor had 16 offensive rebounds last night. That's, you know, they, they, they took 67 shots uh, and Gonzaga took 49. Um, you, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the differences there because they shot yeah. pretty much the same on free throws. Uh, Baylor was 16 of 18, Gonzaga 15 of 21. But uh, honestly, the, the real difference is Gonzaga committed 14 turnovers, including eight, uh, 10 in the first half, I think. Maybe it was eight. It's either eight or 10. And um, Baylor hit 10 three-pointers, but they were seven of 12 from three in the first half. Like that's, that's how they built their lead. They got a variety of guys to hit three-pointers. And uh, they rebounded their misses and just, you know, when you take 18 more shots than your opponent, that's, that's generally a pretty good recipe for success, what, whatever happens. And, you know, when you happen to be shooting at a, you know, 44% clip, that's, that's even better at 1.26 points per possession. It was just an offensive clinic. And, um, you know, Gonzaga didn't shoot all that poorly, especially from, from two-point range. They were 62.5% from two, but just five of 17 from three. And a couple of those threes came at the, you know, in the last few minutes when the game was well decided, but they turned it over too much. And, uh, you know, there were times where you, you expected kind of Drew Timmy to be successful. He only had 12 points. Corey Kispert had 12 points and other than Jalen Suggs who had 22, it was just kind of a, kind of a struggle for them to get going. And, you know, Baylor had an answer every time Gonzaga got it close. It was like, they went on that run to get it to 10 at halftime. And it's like, all right, here's where Gonzaga kind of makes one of their patented runs and Baylor just stemmed the tide. They had some big runs and it was, it was not particularly close for the last 10 minutes or so. And uh, just a, just an all around clinic put on by, by Scott Drew's bears. Yeah, and I don't have anything else to add to that aside from the fact that I truly hated that someone had to lose this game because I really felt like, again, we go back to this. I think these were the two best teams in college basketball this year by a significant margin. And in an, in another season, you put Gonzaga maybe maybe in 2019. Maybe we have the same exact teams last year. Uh I really think both these teams are national championship caliber teams. And the fact that one of them had to lose is a cruel uh, truth to this sport. Sometimes you watch 
teams meet in a championship. Like, for instance, you see Houston play Baylor. And we say, okay, you know what? Houston, that was great. You made the Final Four. Heck of a run. Heck of a story. But, you know, you're you're not really in that same league with Baylor. Not this year. This this time, however, it was... You're going you're gonna to have one of these programs finally win one for the first time ever. And to really just... These were the best years that each program has had ever. And to see that, to see Gonzaga go 31 and 0, get so close. I mean, I know a lot of people didn't have sympathy for the Patriots when they started out their season 18 and 0 and lost in the uh, Super Bowl back in 2008. But uh, man, I mean, you got to have some sympathy for Gonzaga because that, you know, in, in the case of the Patriots, they at least got to win some other Super Bowls and not everyone was on all those teams, but, uh, yeah, that, that one was tough. Uh, I hope those guys are able to walk away from this season, knowing that they accomplished something extremely special that they shouldn't be ashamed of anything. Yeah, no. And I feel like that's kind of the prevailing theme when you think about it. I'm sure UCLA is, is awfully disappointed in the way their game ended. Um, but you know, uh, a, a former, he, he wrote for ESPN. He wrote a, blog for a while uh that covered mid-major schools kyle welliston uh he kind of coined the phrase or or made it popular it always ends in a loss that you know except for the the team who wins the ncaa tournament and the nit and you know when there are other ones the cit this year was the cbi or whatever like you know your season ends in a loss and it's it's you know, sometimes hard to to come to grips with that, whether it's in the conference tournament or in the NCAA tournament or wherever it finishes. Um, yeah, and it's it it'll be hard, and um, you know, hopefully they're resilient and can get over it. It's you know, it's one game. It's not going to define who you are as a person or kind of what your you know their their legacy certainly isn't tarnished. As as you said, thirty one and zero, they'll be remembered in Spokane forever. But uh, I, I think the only feeling I have is you know, it's just a tinge of disappointment just that it wasn't a better game. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and again, that's, you know, it wasn't poorly played. It just that it wasn't, it wasn't as close as you, you'd like to hope that, uh, uh, you know, the top two seeds would have, but you know, you can't, you know, sometimes you get 93, 90 in overtime and, <laughs> and sometimes you get 86, 70. And, and sometimes, you know, there was, you know, the, the Michigan State North Carolina game in, in 2009, the national championship, that one wasn't particularly close. So, you know, it's kind of a coin flip by the time you, you get to this. Um, and, and I think that's the only thing that, that I feel is that, you know, they were the two best teams. It would have just been nice if they'd been a little bit closer. But, you know, that's not anybody's fault and certainly credit to, to Baylor. Um and, you know, do you ask a little bit about the Final Four? We could probably spend a whole other podcast talking about the Gonzaga-UCLA game. Um, it was it was remarkable. And, um, you know, uh, Johnny Zhang put on another show. And like I said, one of the best NCAA tournament performances, certainly in recent memory from, you know, from the first four all the way through. And, um, you know, yeah, that they're going to be – that they were UCLA – is one of those teams that's going to be populating near the top of those uh, way too early top 25 lists. Um, and, and Mick Cronin's got something, go- excuse me, got something going there. And um, yeah, it was just, uh, 
you know, it was it was surprising. You you looked at the matchups and of the games that we thought that would be close, they turned out to not be. And the one game of the three that we thought wasn't going to be close turned out to nearly go to double overtime. <laughs> and you needed a thirty five bank thirty five foot banked in three pointer to keep from going uh, to double overtime. But uh, it was good, you know, for all the chaos. I thought it was kind of fitting uh, for all the chaos and all the upsets upsets in the tournament. Rather that we ended up with the number one and number two overall seeds taking on each other. And uh, there's something pretty fitting about that. And yeah, good we got to get that game. And again, like I'd said, I wish the game had been a little bit closer. But you know, all credit to Baylor, man. They just they just took it to him from the jump. It was it was nine nothing, and and it was basically over after that. Uh, I saw a writer, uh, Mark Titus of Fox Sports, who said he'd said something along the lines of, "After Jalen Suggs picked up that charge, even when it was four nothing, he's like, this game is probably over." And you know, it turned out to kind of be. I don't know how much of it was looking back on it and going, yeah, you know, it really seemed like that's where it turned. But, um, yeah, credit to Baylor. It was it was a great tournament, and we'll, we'll get back to touching on this and, and one shining moment yeah, and yeah. all that other stuff. I know you asked about coaching changes, so uh, we can get into that. But, uh, you know, so rarely does it work out in sports in these tournaments, whether it's college, professional, whatever it is, where you get – the top two seeds to face each other. So that's, that's not something that should be forgotten and, and was very special for us to have last night. And I want to say thank you, UCLA. Thank you for everything you provided this tournament. Heck of a story. You gave us that Alabama game. He gave us the UCLA, uh, the Michigan game was another good one. And then we got the Gonzaga game. So they really may have given us the three best games in this whole tournament, uh, arguably at least two of them. So that was, I mean, thank you UCLA for all you did. And I'm really glad they got through that Michigan state game because I did not think Michigan state was going to go on this type of run this year. Yeah, no, it, uh, I mean, even though Michigan state had looked better as of late, you know, they kind of been peaking, they beat Michigan, they beat Ohio state, they beat Illinois kind of in the run up. Um, it would have required something different, I think, for Michigan State to have gone on a similar type run. They could have done it. They they have the athletes and the and the players to do so. But uh, I think the circumstances would have been uh, had to have been a little bit different for for them to do that. So, all right. So we got about fifteen minutes until my cousin Zoe is going to join us here. And uh, Zoe, for those who don't know, and I'll reintroduce this in 15 or 20 minutes or whenever she hops on she and i did an episode where she picked a bracket as someone who didn't watch any college basketball and she did better than i did in the uh in our family pool and uh we got some uh hijinks going on when she hops on in a little bit so before that we have to discuss these coaching changes and we can talk tournament so little recap of what happened over the past week since the last time you and i chatted Andrew. So Lon Kruger, he had retired from Oklahoma. I think that was probably before the last time we recorded something. Uh, Oklahoma was in search of a coach. They got Porter Moser to come over from Loyola, Chicago. Uh, The uh, Oklahoma, Texas games are going to be really exciting because Chris Beard left tech to go over to Texas. And now he is coaching the Texas Longhorns. Within the last uh, 24, 12 hours or so, we found out that his associate head coach, Mark Adams, was going to fill in his role as the new head coach at Texas Tech. 
And then we also had Roy Williams retire from North Carolina. Hubert Davis is now promoted to be the North Carolina head coach. Yeah, it's uh, kind of been a whirlwind. Um, you know, and one other one to mention, Drew Valentine uh, oh. as uh, going to be the replacement for Porter Moser. I think he was the, the top assistant there. But uh, I, have to, I have to check. Only 29, I think 29 years, 29 years young. I guess, which wow. makes me feel incredibly old. Uh, brother of Denzel Valentine. So the Valentine brothers got something going on there in Chicago. Um, Drew had uh, association with Oakland University when uh, the, the Summit League and then the Horizon League. And uh, he was an assistant there and then at Loyola. And now the, the head guy taking over. Um, it, it will be interesting. And I, I wish Hubert Davis a lot of success. There was, you know, he'd come from college game day and, um, I think a lot of the the people uh, who've watched college basketball over the last 15, 20 years, probably mostly where they knew him and uh, when he went to be an assistant for Roy Williams, the associate head coach. So not surprising, but one of those guys who got hired who doesn't have any head coaching experience, and that can work out one of two ways at a Power 5 job, either really well, um, you know, like I think we're seeing with Juwan Howard at Michigan, amongst others, is that, you know, first-time head coach, um, you know, Hubert certainly can have a lot of success and there are other first time head coaches. Um, you know, I think Jerry Stackhouse, uh, at Vanderbilt has kind of struggled a little bit so far, not to say he can't turn it around, but, um, so, so that can kind of go one of two ways. It wasn't particularly surprising that North Carolina went in that direction. Um, you know, they like to kind of keep it in the family. Um, it was the rumors were him or possibly, uh, Wes Miller, who's a, who was on that 2005 North Carolina team that won the national title and he's been at UNC Greensboro for I think seven or eight years at least uh, and has had a lot of success so uh, wish Hubert um, you know all the best um, you know he's he's a good basketball mind he certainly relates well and and his success when in the NBA and all that stuff um, so you hope he has a lot of success as a first-time head coach I uh, can't say I was surprised that Chris Beard ended up going to Texas. You know, the pull of your alma mater, I think, is is pretty strong. Um, so he had, he'd been a, and started as a graduate assistant at Texas, and it sounded like this has always kind of been his dream job. So, uh, you know, not really surprising there. I was honestly really surprised that Porter Moser took the Oklahoma job. Uh, you and I have talked in text messages and other times about how it just felt like a non-state school kind of spoke to him more. Um, I was really, especially for as big as Oklahoma is, um, that that was the direction he went. Maybe he feels comfortable. You know, he, the basketball team kind of operates in the football team's shadow. So there maybe isn't necessarily as much pressure to win uh, as there would be in other places. And and he's, you know, a phenomenal coach. But it will it will play different in the Big 12. And, you know, being at a big state school and, and, and all that stuff, The uh, I think the Bryce Dale Center, uh, capacity is three times as large as the uh, Gentile Center on the campus of Loyola. So that will take some getting used to, but uh, a chance for him to spread his wings. And uh, you wish him a lot of success there as well. But it will be interesting to see how all these kind of shake out because, um, <laughs> y- you know, there were sef- definitely some, I think the Hubert Davis was not surprising. Uh, Chris Beard to Texas wasn't all that surprising. I, I thought, and maybe I'm the only one who thinks this. I thought Porter Moser to Oklahoma was surprising. Um, so, you know, we'll, you, you hope that they, they work out 
Um, and it will be interesting to kind of watch and, and see how the season plays out. And you, know, you can't grade a coaching hire on one year, obviously, but how those, how those guys in their new situations will fare right away will be really interesting. Yeah, I was really surprised by Porter Moser because I just think I thought, okay, this whole squad could come back next year. And it felt like after you win that game against Illinois, yes, you get to the Sweet 16. You're finally, people are talking about this team should be a four seed, a five seed. They can come back next year. And now it'll be interesting to see if those players do decide to come back because a lot of guys, I think that's why it's good to, uh, promote drew valentine to be the head coach try to keep that squad together um among other things as well i always think it's a good but i typically tend to think it's a good move when you keep it in the family for those mid-majors it works out pretty well a lot of the time not always but i think that i was just surprised because i thought well now they're on the map if they weren't already after their final four run they got another chance next year you can keep this team intact I mean, there's probably a good chance the Valley's going to be a two-bid league next year if that team, I mean, everyone knows how good that team is. You have the same type of season you did this year. You can lose the Missouri Valley Conference title game, or you might, you could probably get an at-large bid with that team next year if it's the same team and you have the same type of success. So I thought that he was going to run it back one more time and have his pick a litter in terms of jobs. But as you mentioned, there must have been something about Oklahoma that really spoke to him. Yeah. And I, you know, I can certainly understand the, I guess for lack of a better phrase, job security. I feel like if you finish fifth in the big 12, you're probably headed to the NCAA tournament, unless you didn't do much in the the non-conference, like the, the power five leagues. If you finish in the top five, top six, you're generally pretty safe to make the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I know there was some frustration at, you know, what if they, what if they slip a little bit, like if they finished third in the Missouri Valley, uh, you know, in any given year that the third place team in the Valley generally isn't going to make it without going on a run at Arch Madness. So certainly a little bit more job security. And I hope the fit turns out to be well, it turns out to to work out well for him. Um, you know, th- there were rumors that he could have stayed and, you know, with, with the success that they've had recently, you know, you kind of look at what Gonzaga was doing in the, the late nineties and the early two thousands and they're getting a sweet 16s. They made that run to the elite eight. And then, uh, you know, they just kept building and just kept building And now they're, you know, the, they were preseason number one this year went 31 and oh, you know, are likely to be a preseason top three, four team next year. They're, they're bringing in a couple of talented freshmen and it seems like uh, the number two player in, I think Chet Holmgren is the number two player. He might be the number one player in, in the country uh, center out of Minnesota. Seems like he's probably going to sign there too. So you get to the point where you just kind of just keep the machine just keeps going and they could have built something similar. At Loyola, and they still can. Certainly, this is not to say that all of a sudden the wheels are going to fall off the bus under Drew Valentine. Um, but, you know, there, there's that coaching continuity, and, um, you know, they could have tried to build that at Loyola, and, you know, they still might. Uh, but uh, I was just a little bit surprised that this was the particular job that Porter Moser took. But, uh, you know, he's, the interactions we've had with him, I think, like, he seems to be a pretty genuine and nice guy, and you hope that uh, he has a lot of success out there in Norman. Because uh, that one one thing certainly about the Oklahoma fans, they are definitely passionate folk. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, I I love Porter Moser, and he he has every right to go when he's you go. I mean, you're it's your life. Do whatever you want with it. 
And uh, I'm sure there aren't any hard feelings about him leaving at this time. He greatly exceeded expectations in Chicago there uh, with Loyola. I mean, he had been there for 10 years, too. He coached for a while, got him to the Final Four, got him to Sweet 16. Really hoping it works out well for him and for the Oklahoma faithful. All right, Andrew, one shining moment. My favorite part of the tournament. Absolutely love it. What'd you think of it this year? I thought it was good. I was kind of surprised at some of the reactions. There were it's more than a few people online who were a little overly bit unhappy. Critical. Yeah, I know, right? Surprising that people <laughs> online would be overly critical. But uh, there was a lot of commentary. They played a lot of the the sound bites, the highlights, and I know there were there were some people who were not quite so pleased with that. Um, conversely, like you didn't. You, couldn't get as many of those normal crowd shots that you get because the cheerleaders weren't there. The pep bands weren't there. There, there weren't as many fans in attendance. Um, you know, it was interesting that they showed as many highlights as they did because for as entertaining a tournament as that was, there aren't a ton of shots that kind of stick out in my mind as being really, I mean, there's the Jalen Suggs, the, the Johnny Juzang put back the, and then the Suggs banked in that obviously is one that, that whole sequence and the, the Suggs block. And then the pass to Timmy that had happened about three or four minutes in game time before that in regulation, that was another one, the three pointer from Alabama. Um, one of the images and, and I remember that I didn't see was uh, whichever Houston player it was crying on Saturday. That was the most uh, emotional crying I saw in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually surprised that didn't make it in. Yeah, yeah, that was. But it, again, just as I'm sitting here running around, like there were upsets, but we weren't really treated to a buzzer beater like Jalen Suggs obviously was. But again, before that, like the closest was the three pointer Alex Reese hits for Alabama to tie the game that got in there. Um, and other There's than that, Florida I mean, Virginia tech game. Did that even make one shining moment? I don't know. I don't remember seeing it. I don't remember the, the three pointer that tied it to send it overtime. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, that was um, odd. And then, uh, you know, like one of the bigger upsets, Abilene Christian, came on two free throws. So you got the, the call from Lisa Byington afterwards talking about the, you know, the, the impossible has happened or, or I can't remember exactly how she phrased it, but because it came on two free throws, like you don't really <laughs> make, free throws don't necessarily make one shining moment, things like that. So there were some good dunks and, and things of that, but there just weren't a ton of big shots. I thought the editing was well done. It seemed like almost every team was covered. Uh, you know, I know that's the goal to try and get a little snippet of everybody in there. I will be honest, the, the thing that hit me the most, and, and I put this out on social media, was, uh, and I can't remember what the line in the song was. It might have been Time is Short. I, or, or it's, uh, it was, it's more than a race. Okay. Um, and, you know, Oscar Freyer, the, the player from Grand Canyon, who um, passed away in a car accident soon after their first round loss to Iowa. And when that line in the song came up, they had clips of him from when he was playing against Iowa. And that hit me a lot harder that I was expecting the the song overall to hit me like it, you know, it obviously gives you a certain kind of feeling, but that they'd put that together and it had come right before they'd splice uh, Lon Kruger and Roy Williams together uh, as, as the coaches retired. And then that, you know, that made me a lot more emotional than I was expecting to be. And certainly credit to the people who put that together for, for making that happen because it, it, it got the emotional twinge. I think they were desiring, but I wasn't expecting that to happen. I thought it was a really nice moment. 
uh, and it, it, it hit me a lot harder than I, I was expecting. Yeah, I'm so glad they put that in. And I honestly, I didn't think too much about One Shining Moment before. I feel like typical, you know, honestly, the fact that we didn't have a tournament last year, it was something that I, I wouldn't say forgotten about because I love One Shining Moment, but it wasn't something I was thinking about at all this weekend. And at one point they said, hey, stick around for One Shining Moment. And I was like, oh yeah, we still we do that One Shining Moment thing. That's so fun. That's so great. Um, so I wasn't thinking about what might be in there, but I'm so glad they included that uh, shot of Oscar blocking a shot and they just kind of panned over and zoomed in on him uh, and just, you know, honored him. I thought that was really, really cool. And it was, it did hit me too. It was, you know, I, I didn't tear up or anything like that, but yeah, I, I got chills. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and if I'd have been thinking about it a little more, I probably would have expected something like that, but I just hadn't even considered that that would be something. And that's probably more on me than anything else. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, they, they, I thought it was a good montage. It was, it was good to have it back. You know, it's it been two years almost. So you, you know, it was always good to see that. And, you know, I know there are some people who always find it to be a little sappy and, you know, whatever, but uh, I always kind of enjoy it. It's a nice little encapsulation and uh, I thought it was very well done. I agree with you, Andrew, in terms of best moments of the tournament. Well, we'll take a rewind here. We'll talk about our favorites. So we got those big upsets the first weekend, Abilene Christian, Oral Roberts, uh, North Texas, uh, Ohio. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other real high seeds that, um, or low seeds or whatever you want to categorize them that made those big upsets. Uh, and UCLA, Oregon State, which I know as being power conference teams might ne- might not necessarily in your mind qualify, but yeah, all those double digit seeds. Uh, Syracuse, you know, was another big one. Um, you know, we didn't. That's interesting. I don't remember seeing anything from USC or Oregon State in one shining moment. There was one brief. Th- I don't remember anything from USC to be honest. Um, but there was one. There were a couple of brief. I think celebrations of Oregon State. Guys, when they you know picked up their various upsets, um, that was that was in there. But uh, again, like you know, you think about those games and Oregon State, they those games they they didn't need a buzzer beater. They basically they took it to Tennessee, you know, and, and then they just kind of they took it to Oklahoma State. They they took it to Loyola. They just those games were never particularly close. And so, like, you didn't need one of those magic shots that you you sometimes get, you know, like a, a Jordan Poole three-pointer or uh, Kyle Guy or the Mamadi Diakite against Purdue to force overtime. There just wasn't that need for those shots because we didn't have a ton of them. You know, I had even forgotten until you mentioned it that Virginia Tech hit that three-pointer down three to force overtime in the very first game. And, um, you know, there just wasn't a, there just the tournament for as many upsets as there were, there just weren't a ton of those shots, um, that, that happened. Yeah. Those are, that's some really good points. It was like a lot of the shots that they used were very much zoomed in. It seemed like they were trying to hide the fact that the stands weren't extremely full. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, yeah, there weren't too many big shots. There weren't any like crazy images, I guess, I always am up for seeing a little more sister Jean. I could have used a little more sister Jean in there, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, they did a great job as the NCAA. 
we got to give them credit for making this thing happen this year. NCAA, it gets a lot of flack for a lot of things, and rightfully so, but we had a college basketball season this year. We had an NCAA tournament this year. Last year's season ended inconclusively. We didn't have a champion. We didn't have a playoff. We didn't even get a bracket. They could have done a bracket last year just for fun to have some type of, you know, simulation, or maybe they didn't want those simulations to, t- to occur. Or, but I'm so glad that they made this thing happen. It was such a strange year because we started it so late. It didn't really gain as much momentum as it normally does because I think it start because it started when it did, you didn't have that, you know, the champions classic really showcase spotlight. The first games were right around Thanksgiving there was a lot of other sports going on, and then the conference season occurred in a much shorter amount of time. So a lot of people kind of, you know, it was such a weird year in that regard, but I absolutely loved the fact that we had these games, that we had some fans in attendance late in the season at the tournament, that we had some big moments, that we had a tournament. And Charles Barkley was saying something, and the guys were saying this the other night, it was maybe a week ago. Sports aren't the most important thing in the world, but by golly, do they matter to people? They're important. And they're so, I mean, to have this tournament and to have something that we can all enjoy together, whether we disagree on some things or we view things differently, I think that's so important in a time right now. I mean, really, as any time in history, but the last year, it's just been, it's been a hard year. It's been a, it's difficult. You know, we're spending so much time inside our homes and just, you know, it's been, it's been a challenge to have this tournament after, especially compared to last year when it all of a sudden just vanished. We didn't see it coming. It just vanished all of a sudden just vanished. And we had it happen this year. We had a season, we crowned a champion. We had fans in attendance Thank you, NCAA. Thank you, everyone that made this thing happen. It was it was a great year, and it's one that I'll remember forever. Yeah, I want to echo those sentiments uh, and just thank you know everybody on the men's side, on the women's side, the the coaches, the players, the training staffs, um, the SIDs. Um, you said it was a hard year, and you know for the players, I know that a lot of them were basically living on their own. And, you know, they, they were trying to do things the right way. They couldn't go to parties. They couldn't really socialize. It was, you know, you go to class. If you have class in person, you, or you log on to your Zoom class, you go to practice, you, you lift, you do whatever, you go back to your apartment, your, your apartment, your dorm room. It was, you know, a very isolated time. And, you know, you guys couldn't see their families, um, you know, or they had to do it and then basically schedule. I know one of the local teams, Creighton here, scheduled a, a 10 day break right after Christmas so that their players could go home. They could see their families and they could come back and do their quarantine or whatever, and then carry on with the season. And it was unusual and certainly to say the least, and all the sacrifices that everybody made and, and put forth to, to have a, a men's season and a women's season. And, uh, you know, a couple of really outstanding tournaments for for entertainment. The things that they went through so that we could kind of experience this and, and have this thing uh, is, you know, certainly greatly appreciated. And I hope that, you know, they all the people who went through it value or or feel value from us that they made these sacrifices. 
because certainly, you know, uh, you know, you wouldn't have blamed anybody for opting out and saying, you know what, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to go through the testing. I don't want to go through the rigors, whatever. Um, but you know, 340 some teams on the men's side. And I think a similar number on the women's side said, you know what, we're going to go through it. We'll do this daily testing. We'll, we'll do whatever else we have to do and we'll have a season and it, and it happened. And, you know, it's, it, it was, it was so good to have it back. It was, you know, there, there were bigger problems to deal with a year ago in March, but uh, it, it, there was definitely something that felt like it was missing without having these tournaments and to have it, um, you know, it just kind of feels like, you know, nature is sort of healing, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you thanked the coaches and the players and the athletic directors and really everyone that was a part of it because I, I can't say that it was a necessity, but in the same way, it does feel like something that we missed and we needed. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, you, you talked about it. You need things, especially – you know, coming right after a, a presidential campaign, things get very divisive, um, you know, but it was something that, you know, as you pointed out correctly, that people can come together and, you know, different political beliefs, different religious beliefs. If you like sports, uh, odds are you're sitting down and watching the NCAA tournament, whether you've, you know, kind of followed college basketball all year like we have or whether, you you know, you haven't really at all. <laughs> um so yes, just the utmost appreciation for all of the sacrifices that that people made, and you know certainly to touch on you know it's kind of been weird for broadcasters too because a lot of them were you know calling games from their homes, and that's not something you get used to doing. Uh, the press, re- the print reporters, you know, you had uh, Paul Oren on here a couple weeks ago, and you know instead of media co- news press conferences, there's post game zooms, and you know you you get called on if you you know the Zoom moderator allows you to do so, and. And things like that. So it's been different for everybody. And a lot of people have made a lot of sacrifices to make this happen. And it, it, other than, you know, one, the one game involving VCU having to be canceled, you know, 66 out of 67 games on the men's side happened. All 63 games on the women's side happened. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's about as it went off as smoothly as it can where, and, and you look the frozen four, the men's frozen four ice hockey starts on Thursday and they had, uh, they've already had three games, I think, or they had two games canceled and they had one team. Notre Dame was going to be in the tournament and then they had to pull out even before the tournament started. So, you know, they, uh, hockey has fewer games, uh, only 15 as opposed to 67 and they've already had more cancellations. Um, you know, and that's not to make light of hockey players, but just simply to say that pulling off 67 games, uh, can't be easy, uh, certainly not easy. And again, thanks to everybody, um, you know, in Indianapolis and in San Antonio and across the country along the way that that made it happen. Because um, the women's tournament was exciting, the the men's tournament was exciting, and it was just really, really good to have, you know, to be f- filling out brackets again. That that kind of made my year. <laughs> you said it very well, Andrew. And. My cousin Zoe Jeffrey should be here any second now. Uh, she's, I think, getting set up right now. Zoe, so for those who don't know what's going on here, Zoe joined me back at the start of the tournament, and she filled out her bracket on the podcast and just came up with all kinds of random ways to fill out her bracket and how she how she ended up picking a winner. She actually picked Baylor to win the national championship, so... All the credit in the world to Zoe. Now, unfortunately, I put my foot in my mouth on that podcast, and I said that if Oral Roberts 
were to win their game against Ohio State, I would eat cat food on this podcast. So uh, that's what we're going to do here. I got some friskies. Uh, yikes, you can see that. It's uh, liver and chicken. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> liver and chicken. I had this option or I could have gone with the tuna, but mm. I was thinking, uh, and I absolutely detest seafood, any kind of fish or whatever. So I thought, you know, first of all, cat food, I said, if first of all, I thought it sounded funny to say I would eat cat food. Uh, I really didn't think I would actually have to do it, but cat food being kind of like the most rank, disgusting, edible i got it might, i don't even know if it's edible for humans i might be meowing later today but <laughs> it's uh i mean it is pretty disgusting but i did end up going with the uh the soft uh liquidy food rather than the than the hard food because i was thinking i could just take a spoonful and i could just shove it down my throat and that'll be it would you, would you, do you think I'm making the right decision with the soft food here versus the, the dry food? I guess, yeah, I should be calling it the wet food, not the dry uh, food. I, I guess the consistency is probably better. Uh, I'm certainly going to admit this is far more discussion of cat food on this podcast than I ever thought I would be talking about. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. I do think you made the right choice. Um, you know, I, I obviously don't know if the dry, fla- dry food would carry as much flavor. Um, but yeah, I think it will be it will be easier to to just get it over quickly with the with the wet food. Yeah, I feel like dry food, crunch, crunch, crunch. I, I guess I don't picture the dry food having as much flavor, so maybe I should have done that. But I just figured like it being kind of a mess in my mouth and getting all over my teeth and having to really. I whereas this, I feel like I can just push it down to the back of my mouth, but. I may need you to wrap up this podcast for me if I'm okay. struggling. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So uh, we're waiting for Zoe. As we wait for Zoe, give me your, um, what's the one thing from this college basketball tournament? Let's say tournament slash season, I guess either way. Aside from Baylor and Gonzaga, what's the number one thing that you think you'll remember about this year? Aside from, again, aside from the COVID stuff, give me, give me a moment. Oh boy. Uh, you've really put me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it, it's interesting. You look at all the upsets and I think one of the things that I will take, and I know some of it is entirely matchup based, but it's interesting that for, as we'd kind of separated, as you talked about, there was Gonzaga and Baylor, and then there was a tier below where everybody else was that the, best mid-major teams and I, I, I you know maybe even the low major I don't know where you you know kind of put Abilene I don't know where you'd put the Southland um, in that overall pecking order whether they're mid-major high major that's you know whether we need to make that distinction is maybe not even necessary but the gap is closing you know you talked with coach Gore about the transfer portal and you talked with Paul about the transfer portal and you know all the names that are in there and guys are looking for more playing time and sometimes you get up transfers like Macy Oteague um, and Adam Flagler the Big South interestingly enough had a, a tweet last night congratulating those two guys because they were both been respectively the Big South freshman of the year uh, Teague at UNC Asheville and Flagler at Presbyterian I just thought it was kind of interesting that the conference was congratulating its former players. But, you know, you get up transfers like that, guys who are, are good and, 
you know, look for a, a chance to kind of make the name for themselves. Um, you know, Valpo wise, I think we saw that, you know, when Javon Freeman Liberty went from Valpo to DePaul and then conversely, you get some where you get guys who are big time, you know, wealth at well thought of programs and want more playing time. Um, and I know this maybe isn't the necessarily the, the best point to make, but you see Johnny Juzang going from Kentucky where it's, you know, five-star factory guys come in all the time and to UCLA, which, you know, still a big blue blood program, but he was kind of one of those where you see, you know, a, a little bit of success at a down transfer. And, and, you know, Valpo has seen that before, um, you know, certainly in your time there, we get guys like E. Victor Nickerson, who came from Charlotte down to Valpo and really kind of excelled, uh, things like that. Keith Carter. Um, so, Shane you know, Hammock. Shane Hammock. So you get, you get those guys, you know, and, um, but I think with all of that happening, I think the gap between the mid majors and the high majors, I think is closing. Like I, I, I think that there are still, you know, high quality programs, especially at the power five level, maybe better than, you know, your, your really good mid-major teams. But I think the, I think the gap is closing for a variety of reasons. Um, and that's really good to see, you know, I, I, as, as we're both Valpo grads, you know, you, you want to see those mid-major schools do well. Um, it was good to see all those upsets. Um, you know, I think that's a trend that's going to continue as you, with all this player movement, especially if uh, the waiting a year on transfers, uh, is taken out of like we think is going to happen and you know what comes up with the name image likeness bills um, but it the possibility of more schools getting talented players um, we talked at one point during the season about um, McCour McCour I think is how you say it maybe it's maker maker I I honestly don't uh, <laughs> I'm honestly not sure but you know the the trend now for some of the five-star prospects to pick historically black colleges and universities like that's really good for the sport. And so I, I think the sport has a lot of problems, but <laughs> conversely, I think it's, you know, it's, it's getting healthy. The, 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 you know, the a, a rising tide lifts all boats. Right. I think that's, that's the phrase. And I, I think the the quality of the sport is, is rising and, you know, I, I, I'd like the, the direction things are headed from a on the floor perspective. You know, we could, we could, you know, you, you thank the NCAA this time. We could spend another podcast talking about why the NCAA is wrong for so many reasons and various things that they've done. Um, I don't know if we'd get anybody to listen to that. Maybe it'd just be you and me venting for an hour, but. Um, that would be the, uh, uh, basically just revamping our whole college football playoff thing for, yeah. for a whole hour. And then it's like, oh, we're done today. Now it'll be a whole new podcast in itself that Uh each week we talk about what's wrong with the NCAA. But uh, yes, in a long, this was a long, really roundabout way of answering your question. But (laughs) I I, I think the the upsets kind of showed that there's not a tremendously shifting power dynamic because it's, you know, as you see from Porter Mosier going from the Missouri Valley to the big 12, there is always going to be that dynamic where the, the pull to the, the power five conferences, the job security, the, the chance to make more money, the chance to play in bigger games. But I think that the mid majors are, are rising. And, um, you know, if you can continue to get the, the best mid-major conferences to get their best teams into the tournament, you're going to see more and more of these upsets. Absolutely. Well said, Andrew. And now we are going to welcome in my cousin Zoe Jeffrey back to the podcast. Andrew, this is my cousin Zoe. 
uh, audience. This is Zoe. This is what she looks like. She was Hello. on an audio podcast before. Welcome, Zoe. Hi. How are you guys? I'm. Uh, we're doing well, but uh, I'm not going to be doing I'm, very well pretty soon. I'm doing better than he is because I don't have to eat the cat food. <laughs> <laughs> I need a quick brag that I was on the podcast college basketball for dummies and i came in second in our bracket <laughs> yeah we had a family pool and zoe finished in second and i finished in third and so it's just poetic justice that the dummy comes out on top of the college basketball podcast host <laughs> you called it jack i remember <laughs> i did say that but i also said some very foolish things on there so zoe you picked <laughs> baylor were you rooting hard for them in this tournament I mean, I thought that I was the whole entire time in the bracket. I was like 15, like the whole time out of 15. And so I kind of gave up on checking it. And then I, once I saw the text in our group chat, I was like, no way. I mean, I have no emotional what, ties. What text? In our, in our family group chat. Yeah. Which one? Let me, let's see. They said... Props to Zoe for her second place finish. Pays to study up. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't even know that Baylor won last night. You were watching the game? No, I was in class. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like filling out a bracket? Was this a fun experience for you this year? Yes, it actually was very fun. And I had my friends who did it. I was able to talk to them about it. That's cool. Well, it was so much fun doing that with you. Uh, again, welcome back. Congratulations on the Baylor victory and uh, outperforming me. And uh, before I get into this cat food here, uh, why was it that you picked Baylor again? Because you thought, I, I think you said it was because the Bears, you like the name, you think it's cute? Yes. I like, <laughs> yes. Baylor Bears has a nice ring to it. All right. I'm going to crack open this can of cat food. Is it Rhonda's cat food? Yeah, it is. <laughs> My black cat, Rhonda. And I was just showing off. So it's Friskies here. It's uh, wet food. Oh, I'm gross. I'm wet food. Ugh. I thought you were going to eat dry food. I just spilled it on my bracket. Uh, that was very uh, symbolic of basically what I did this March. <laughs> so I'm going to take a spoonful here. Is that enough? Are you guys content with that? Yes. Sure. All right. Here we go. Full swallow. It's yeah, I will. I will. It's like <laughs> this is preparing me if I ever go on Survivor or the challenge when they do those. Dude, like, Jack, you need things. to go on Survivor. I need to, or you need yes. to. Yes, are you kidding? You're the biggest super fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should watch the challenge, Zoe. Andrew's been getting into that. You like I it, know, Andrew? I should. I am. Yeah, we gotta. This is not to sidetrack it. I thought that it was going to end and we we're going to get to the final, and I was a little disappointed. And yeah. but now I'm excited to watch All Stars. Yeah, it's getting uh, it's going on a little too long. I think All Stars is going to be better. All right, guys, the moment you've been waiting for, the cat food, the wet food. I'm diving in. Here we go. Ah, I did it. I did it. Oh, oh gosh. What did it taste like? Oh, gosh. It tasted the way you would expect it to taste. Like, <laughs> actually, I will say, I will say that the, um, oh, I need some water. Sorry. 
oh, I'm going to be in for a long day after doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I actually would say that the taste was not as bad as the smell. Like, I okay, think, fair. I think this stuff is like the worst smelling food in the world. Yeah. And it didn't have as much flavor. Uh, it wasn't like a super strong flavor that I was. Exp- oh, gosh. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you guys want to provide a little bit of uh, Andrew, you want to provide a little bit of reverse play by play. What just happened for those who are listening on the podcast feed? What it looked like. I, I mean, Jack took a big a uh, to your credit. It was a big spoonful. It was not a it was not a, a little like you filled half the spoon. It was it was completely filled. And, uh, you know, the, the face you made initially, I thought you were going to spit it out to your credit. <laughs> Uh, you somehow managed to to choke it down and, and swallow and all that good stuff. Um, you know, we, we should have made you do, I guess, a tongue check like they do on Survivor when they're eating all the yeah, <laughs> beetles and and everything. But uh, you got it, you got it all down, and um, it was impressive. And you know, you know, and I guess this should be a good lesson to you know, maybe start talking about things like eating lemons or whatever. <laughs> I know that's, that's been kind of an internet staple that maybe avoid the cat food next time and <laughs> a year, uh, in 11 months from now, we're looking at the bracket. You're like, man, if this upset happens, I'll eat. And then pause for a second. Go wait, cat food's out. So <laughs> <laughs> my dad eats lemons because he just genuinely likes them. I like lemons too. I actually do like lemons, but I'm going to have the to... whole thing like it's an orange. Yeah, I do that, too. I just did that recently. I, wow. Yeah, I remember my mom, like, had bought a lemon for something, and she, like, cut half of it, and I ate the other half, and then she's like, you like that? I'm like, yeah, you should buy more of these. So then <laughs> she would, like, pack them in my lunch, like, senior year of high school, oh. and I'd just be, like, sitting with my friends, and they'd be like, Vita, are you eating a lemon? Like, what? what is going on? <laughs> it's funny. Oh man, just swallowing it whole like it's uh it's not great back here right now. <laughs> Fair, but at least in, I didn't in get retro- it. In retrospect, should you've gone with the dry food? Are, no, are, are I you, think I made the right decision. decision? Okay. You have way more points for doing the wet food. <laughs> you think so, Zoe? Yes, one of my childhood friends. I'd go over to her house, and her dad would eat the cat food. The, the dry cat food just as like a snack. He like liked it. Oh, gross. Yeah, super weird. <laughs> so maybe I should have gotten that stuff. He could have hooked me up. <laughs> yeah. But no, I was just picturing, like I was saying before you got on here, Zoe, with the, with the wet food, I could just swallow it. And that that is the good yeah. thing. So like the, the negative is I have a little bit in my throat still and I'm going to need to brush my teeth and do all that good stuff in a little bit when I get off the show. But I'd much rather have it in my throat than have it like all over my like white teeth. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's what, what would happen if I had the dry food. I'd be crunching and I'd have to floss and <laughs> no, I'd be gross. <laughs> What a season, guys. Uh, closing thoughts on uh, cat food, snacks, stuff of that nature, college basketball? I, I think Zoe should get the last word, probably. Yeah, I think so. I want to thank you, Jack, for introducing me to this world. Because <laughs> <laughs> maybe next year I will actually, I for sure next year I will actually make a bracket. 
So the the world of college basketball, the world of podcasts. What what do you mean? Both, but I meant <laughs> college basketball. <laughs> and you're a man of your word for doing the cat food. I appreciate that. I I can't believe I did that. I mean, I texted Zoe this morning, and I was like, Zoe, it's not happening this morning. Like, and then she's like, Why not? I'm like, Oh, you know. <laughs> I just got up and I'm like, this is going to be the first thing I eat today. Like, do I want that to be the first thing I eat? But then I thought actually probably better not to have like a full belly and then eat the cat food. So I was like, all right, you know what? It's either now or I'm going to have to like be delaying the fact of this because I am a man of my word. I am going to do this at some point, but I didn't want to like be down the road a year from now and be like, why didn't I just eat that cat food back then? Like. (laughs) I also don't think I slept as much last night because I knew I was going to be eating cat food in the morning. (laughs) But no, it was great to have you here, Zoe. Um, 100% glad you got into the tournament this year. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we'll have to, I'm going to have to try to find ways to get you into other sports. Are you excited about baseball? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's my one sport. Javi, is Javi going to have a big year? Javi! (laughs) (laughs) My boy, yes. He will have a great year. I'm speaking it into existence. (laughs) Good stuff. All right, guys. For all of us here at the Jack Vita Show, I'm Jack Vita alongside Andrew Stem and Zoe Jeffrey. Uh, Once again, what a great year. A lot of fun with college basketball. We're shifting gears now, so you should be expecting a lot of baseball podcasts. We'll have something coming out for the Masters probably early next week, and maybe something before that. We'll see. Potentially more reality stars on the podcast, Uh, so lots of great stuff coming up. Make sure you subscribe to the Jack Vita Show. Guys, uh, wave goodbye for now, and uh, until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters.